Welcome to Rask's Australian Business Podcast, a series for entrepreneurs who dare to leave the world in a better place and get paid while we do it. This podcast will make you a better business owner, investor, founder, or entrepreneur. If you want to start a business or already have one, please subscribe to the series or share it with your friends, business partner, or colleagues. And don't forget to consider taking our free business course, which includes heaps of templates for creating business plans, HR documents, employee files, all of my software recommendations, and more. The course is completely free and available via the link in your podcast player. Okay, let's get into the episode. John, thanks for taking some time to join me on the show. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're re- recording from WA, joining us via Zoom. And uh, Cameron, I think you're joining us from the Yarra Valley, uh, my neck of the woods. So, pleasure to have you on the show, mate. Thanks for joining yeah, us. Yeah, thanks, Owen. Great to be here and uh, nice to meet you, John. It's, it's, it's great because um, all three of us are meeting for the first time and um, recording. We're just going to jump in and talk about business. But maybe, John, we'll start with you. Um, I heard in your backstory that you were a high-frequency trader, which as an investment guy myself, I was just so curious about how you then go and you launch a fitness and technology business. I mean, I've just got to... I'm just going to learn a bit more about this. So take, take us on the journey. Like, what is the business? How did you start it? Just like origin story stuff. Sure. So I have a, um, a degree in applied physics from a local university here in WA. Um, and I spent a career, first career in quantitative trading of all things um, around the time when, when you could do that. Um, uh, so I worked for, I worked for brokerages and I went to London and worked for a bank and, uh, worked for a hedge fund in Hawaii and started my own high-frequency trading company, 2006-ish, um, which is a great thing to be doing heading into the GFC. Um, and, um, yeah, trading was great. It was, uh, it was a great business to be doing. We were, um, you know, super fast and, and super good algorithmic traders, I think. Um, and so we, had, we built a trading room. It was a bit more like a frat house than anything. <laughs> um, and there was a there was a set of weights in the back of the trading room, which we'd use when the markets were quiet. And it just seemed a bit incongruous so that at, at one end of the room, we were doing cutting edge, you know, high frequency, high power computing sort of trading. And at the other end, we were just pushing metal around. And I, I thought, you know, surely we could apply a bit of 21st century technology and mm. hardware and firmware and software and build something that's engaging, adaptive, full of data, um, and surely that would be a product that'd be possible and would work. Um, so that was the origin story for how trading turns into training. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah. And then, you know, fast forward a decade of tinkering around in my shed and, and trying to figure out how to do it and wondering, well, surely someone else better than me can, can, could and should do this. Um, and then just getting a bit fed up with it and just saying, well, maybe it is up to me to do because I can figure it out. I've got the capital to, to deploy on it. I've got the time. Um, maybe it is up to me to, to bring this to the world. Can you tell us a little bit about this? Because obviously each of you are tackling a problem in a totally different way, but it's a similar problem. Um, can you tell us about how you went about building a technology that would allow people to work out from home or to, you know, and, and also just make that in an engaging way in a way that actually, I guess, makes sense from like, like the, the scientific background. Um, because I know you did a lot of research 
This isn't just something like you thought, that was a great idea. Um, this is actually a really well-researched, really well-thought-out uh, concept. Um, I think, uh, to me, it's, 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 it's more, of a, more about a business than anything else. It, it was, the, the hardware was coming along. I, I, I thought I could figure out how to make it, and it was sort of starting to get interesting and, and prove effective. Um, I saw Peloton for the first time, and I saw a company that had turned a hardware business into a, a subscription revenue business, um, and they'd, they'd figured out how to make the whole uh, ecosystem um, engaging and protectable at the same time. I thought that was that was a great idea. At the same time, 2016 was the rise of the fitness influencer, and I'm seeing you know amazing coaches and and fitness influencers from around the world, really clearly knowledgeable about what they're doing, but just like selling drinks and, and trying to monetize their following somehow. So Vitruvian was like um, a light bulb moment. Let's bring those two worlds together and surely there would be, um, surely we could build an, an, a convenient, effective piece of hardware and connect people in the home to their favorite fitness influencer or coach or from, from anywhere around the world. And surely people would like that. Surely it would be, surely it would be possible. Surely the people people in in the homes would would find that uh, beneficial and engaging and interesting, and surely coaches and, and fitness influencers from around the world would, would find that a useful and effective way to reach and touch their audience in more meaningful ways. That was the kind of like, ta-da, that should work kind of yeah. thing. <laughs> um, then and now I've forgotten the question. So no, no, that's right. <laughs> no, I like it. So I will I will stick with you just for one more question before we jump over to camera, but. Um, can you describe, like, if someone gets one of these machines, puts them in their home or it's at the gym, can you describe, like, just nuts and bolts and, like, maybe just tell us where people can go to find out more about it because, like, I think you've got to see it to kind of believe it. Um, like, people will be familiar with the idea of Peloton, uh, mainly mm-hmm. being, like, a, a US concept, but can you just explain that to, to us just in very simple terms? Sure. Um, the core product is a, is a hardware platform that you stand on that has two handles or a bar coming out of it uh, attached to two cables and those cables uh, the tension on those cables can vary from zero to 100 kilos each cable uh, so you can do effectively a 200 kilo squat or deadlift hmm. um, or bench press or and you can do any number of uh, exercise resistance training exercises that involve handles or or the bar um, hmm. so that's the core technology and then how you experience it is uh you, you purchase it. Like if you want to learn more, go to our website, which is vitruvianform.com. Bit of a mouthful to say. Um, if you're wondering where the word and the name comes from, it's inspired by our inspiration, who is the Vitruvian man, which is the the Leonardo da Vinci drawing of the man in the square and the circle, who kind of uh, is, a, is, a, is a graphical depiction of an ideal human form and um, he's mm. kind of our, our guiding light of of, of why, why we're here to bring this technology to the world. Um, so that's uh, that's the hardware. Um, and then you connect that piece of hardware through your phone uh, to a world of content, uh, classes, um, workouts, programs, um, and data and community. Mm, I love it. So um, last week I actually called up, ca- caught up with a guy called Nick Crocker who um, – is a general partner at Blackbird Ventures or Blackbird VC, if you know them. Mm-hmm. Um, and he and a co-founder created um, a, 
there was a like an app to connect coaches with um, like people that would need to see a PT but couldn't, um, and they let, were bought out by My Fitness Pal, which then was bought out by um, Under Armour. And then he went on and talked about how like the, the genesis of that business was like it was really interesting to hear that story from like I guess the trials and tribulations and how competitive it can be like, to to develop something both hardware and software. But I'll put all the I'll put all the links in the show notes to this, John. So people can go and see. I think there's like there's heaps of videos online which are really cool. So um, and we'll come back to you in a minute. But Cameron, um, I know you've been sitting there listening to this story. Um, you you started the business uh, BFT in 2017, if I'm not mistaken. Um, in that time, obviously, we've been through a pandemic, which is a whole heap of fun, I'm sure. Um, but can you tell us, like, I was, I'm familiar with the brand, right? Because I'm here in Melbourne, even going through Sydney, I've seen the, seen the locations. Can you talk to us about, like, what is the, what is the business? What did you see and how did it get started? Yeah, um, actually, the business started in 2015. Um, we had a rebrand in 2017. So um, my background is sports science, strength and conditioning, high performance management, working in um, with elite sporting teams pr- predominantly for the past sort of 15 years. And coming out of that space and back into the commercial space, um, <clears throat> I started looking, you know, just at what are the trends globally. Mm. Group training was trending. Um so in some way, you know, that was resonating with me because I'd work with sporting teams. That's essentially that's group training for, you know, in essence. And then what I was seeing was I just, I was seeing a real lack of consideration and a real lack of um, considered and genuine application of known sports science, exercise, physiological training principles and methodologies. Um, there was lots of fantastic offerings out there Um but there was a sameness about a lot of it. And I guess the easiest way to, if, if you know any of the brands in the industry, you know, at CrossFit at kind of the extreme end of that spectrum, doing a lot of good work in terms of exposing people to barbell and kettlebell training, et cetera. Um, but, it, but it's a sport. And so therefore it mm. lends to injuries and so on. Uh, and then at the other end of the spectrum was, you know, Barry's Bootcamp, Orange Theory, F45, and all very much aerobic-based training models. Um and, I, and in essence, I was trying to find something where I could utilise my skills and knowledge, um, you know, in, in that sports science realm to bring methodologies and exercise science um, prescription to the mainstream. Like, why isn't it happening when people are paying really good money uh, for group training, you know, $60, $70 a week, um, and or with personal training, you know, they're paying more than that for a, for a one hour or 50 minute session. Why aren't we better in the industry? And that's not saying that that's not a broad brush straight statement. There's a lot of fantastic trainers and there's lots of great models and we can't be everything to everyone with, you know, BFT is not the sole answer for all of your training needs either. But um, I wanted to give the weekend warrior the opportunity to get exposed to the methodologies that elite athletes get exposed to. Mm. Part of that is progressive training. You know, if you know AFL football as an example, the athletes come in at roughly 18 years of age. It takes about five to seven years to build the athlete Mm. to be able to withstand the week-in and week-out rigours and pre-seasons of the demands of AFL football. So if elite elite athletes continue to strive and learn and, and continually get better, you know, and it is a game of inches when you're at the elite level. Why aren't we affording the opportunity for the weekend warrior to develop their skills as well? 
you know, strength training as an example is a skill. And so we, we do all of our training in um, progressive training blocks. Uh, we periodize them every session in a week. There's a reason that it sits in that, in that week and, and they all flow and have um, a relationship with each other, just like you would uh, write a periodized progressive training model for an elite athlete or sporting team. And then within the group, there's, you know, we do classes of 36, there's 36 individuals and then we call it a flexibility within the framework. You know, the framework is the programming, the system, um, but within that there's 36 individuals and we try and educate the, the trainers and the coaches to then put their own, you know, stamp on the program by making sure that, you know, it is unrealistic to think 36 people are all going to do the exact same thing based on, exercise, training, background and history, injury, you know, physiology, are you more aerobic versus anaerobic or fast twitch versus slow twitch? So we try and educate the trainers to really personalise it so that it's, we we feel it's better value than personal training. We're mm. giving the program, we're giving you the science um, so the coaches can really focus on the individuals. And then the other bit, which actually was really interested in what John was saying um, in terms of the technology and the science, you know, what we see now in the commercial space, we were using an elite sport 15 years ago, so it's not new to most conditioning coaches and sports scientists. And so what we try and do is take really complex data sets and simplify it, take the most meaningful information that's relevant to our members within body fit training um, to give them data that's going to influence um, how they train, how they interpret their results, what they need to focus on, um, how we reward them. And so that there's so much data out there that I talk to a lot of people who wear, whether it's Aura rings or Apple watches and, and so on, and they monitor themselves. And when they get it, when they get the alert to say, you know, you, you're cooked or you've overtrained or you need more recovery, very seldom do they ever do it. And so we try and keep it as, we try and use software. We build a lot of our own software and hardware. Um, we've, we've just recently, uh, 12 months ago, launched, our own heart rate system. It's a world first in terms of gamification for strength training. Um, and we're trying to make sure that we're re rewarding all different styles of training, whether it's high intensity, low intensity, anaerobic, aerobic, um, strength, power, et cetera, so that people feel like they're always getting feedback based on training different energy systems, different muscle fiber types, different movement patterns. So that's sort of it. That was the gap that I saw in the market. Um, and and in late, uh, late 2015, started working on it. 2016, um, opened up two studios as pilot studios. 2017, opened up another two studios to test the model. And throughout that, we, you know, I was seeing that, yep, it's resonating with the members. We were still pretty raw at that point in time, but that formed the foundations for what is now Body Fit Training. I've got a question around this um, in relation to the business model itself. Um so if if I'm not mistaken, Cameron, like is it a is a big part of the business model now franchising? It's it's one hundred percent franchising, yes. So how do you so how do you find people that you know want to take up a BFT studio, like they want to launch their own uh, location? Because I know you've got a lot of um, like you've had a lot of high profile people, right, take on these studios, like a lot of athletes and that type of stuff that have taken the they've seen yeah. what you're trying to work on, and then now they want to do their own. Yeah, absolutely. And um, we, we actually don't have any ambassadors. Um, and 
the, the people who have taken it on, the beauty of it is these athletes is that they're taking it on because the training resonates with how they've lived their life as an athlete. They, they get it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, And that's really powerful. And we don't lead with that in terms of um, we really respect them. Um, we love that they've invested with us, but we don't really go out there leading with that. Our investors come from um, a sort of three three buckets. There's the, the personal trainer who is looking for the next step in their journey. Um, you know, mm. PT, PTing's hard and it's tough to make money and to, the mm. average lifespan of a PT is under 10 months. So, oh, wow. uh, so part of actually starting this business was they to They don't try actually and- die, though, do they? <laughs> they <laughs> Uh, they don't. They don't. I'm not sure where they go. But they don't. Hopefully they don't. Um, but I, but in Australia, that was one of the things I looked at. Owen was, you know, ten years ago, there was thirty thousand PTs getting qualified every single year in Australia, and the average lifespan at that time was actually nine months. And so, there's a problem with the industry, and there's a problem with opportunity. There's a lot of passionate people who have invested their money and time to get qualified. Um, and it's tough. It's tough to have a career. So B- BFT was a vehicle through franchising to maybe be able to get um, some of those people, afford them the opportunity to have a business, give them a lifestyle and income in an industry that really passionate about. And the franchising is great because we provide the systems and the support and the IP, and then, but they still really are running their business. You know, they're, they're running the day-to-day. Um so the PT who wants to, you know, be in control of their own destiny a little bit more. Um, then there's the mum and dad investor who may be looking for a career change. And we've seen that a lot through COVID that, you know, you think you're secure and you've given a company your life and then all of a sudden you stood down or made redundant and you're not as valuable as maybe you once thought you were. And certainly through the GFC many years ago, franchising benefited from that where people wanted a bit more control of their own destiny. So that's the second bucket. And the third bucket's just, the pure investor who typically invest in multi-sites, they might buy three or five, you know, they'll put in an area manager and a manager at each store and, um, and then they just look at it as purely an investment. They're, they're, they're looking at the back end and numbers only and they're not on the floor and engaging with the members. But we, and we have a really, really even distribution of the three actually. Hmm. That's interesting. It's very congrats, interesting. congrats on um, BFT, Cameron. I think, all Australians are, are proud of what you achieved there. You know, really, a relatively short space of time. It's like it's been amazing. I was listening to jo- to, to you earlier, and um, it would have been interesting. You talked about Peloton, and uh, what I lacked many years ago was was a little bit of capital and um, and a bit of know how in the software space. But I, I actually have a business plan. Would you believe from two thousand and six, which is simply <laughs> Peloton. Really, there you go. <laughs> Um, so, uh, so well done. <laughs> yeah. John, that actually is a great segue into the next talking point, which is that um, obviously to put together what you have, it takes a lot of like a lot of upfront I, like effort. You said before how long like it took um, and it kind of came full circle where you worked on it, a lot of it yourself, right? Um, did you like, I guess, how did you like go about designing a system that would work, A, and then the second part of that is like, did you have to get um, – like capital on board. I, I know you said like you thought, you know, you could do that. I, I'm just, I don't know the answer to this question. So purely like in the dark here, did you have to source capital to pull this off? Um, so how did I do it? Like when you're a guy in a shed, like 
go. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. You just figure it out. Uh, is, is how it was my approach. Um, yeah, you just you read, you research, you buy stuff, you put it together, you test it, you mm. see if it works, you iterate, and you just keep going, and you you follow the leads, and you see where they where you end up. Um, but at least that's that's how it was in the early years. For me, I guess you have a north star of what you're trying to achieve and what you think might be possible with an with an array of technologies, and you you put them together, and you you see you've got to you got to make the product, particularly in hardware. You've got to, got to laser mm. focus and drive towards something in your hands that is doing what you think you want it to do. Um, mm. You've got to feel it. So that was my that was that. Um, and um, what was the other? It was more question? like, so like, I know like when I visit the website, right? Like I can see like people can buy it all around the world. Um, obviously download the app from wherever they are. But um, mm. like, this is not like in, like when I think of business models and thinking of starting businesses, I I think of like, what are the barriers to entry, mm. right? Um, and for a lot of people, the, the barrier is quite hard because even if you get the concept right, then you still need to distribute, like you need to sell yeah. and it needs to scale. So, like, how do you scale it? Like, a lot of people need capital to push that into the consumer's mind. Yeah. So, I think, I mean, your, your other question was, like, did it, did it require capital? This business is, like, the Trillion is always going to need a lot of capital because uh, yeah. it's, it's got a, a large hardware component to it. Um, I think I was fortunate enough in my prior business to to done well, um, to kind of bought some economic freedom and had enough money to... Hmm spend to invest in the business to get it to where um, where it could take on more investment to get it to a point where we had products and and could then show it to other investors. Um, mm. We've only ever raised capital from investors who have been users first, oh, um, wow. either users or customers, um, and it hasn't really been that difficult to find investors because we're, I guess, a product-led company. Like It's very... Mm. You can put this in a deck and you can try and shop it around to investors, but I, I just took the approach that let's just make the product because uh, I I know what I what I want to make here. Let's just make that mm. um, and take the product to investors, and and that has been absolutely the right approach. Have um, you have you been surprised by the the take up in the US? No. Nothing. No. <laughs> no. I think no. we've got a product that people want and they're prepared to pay for. So I'm not, I'm not surprised. Um, yeah. People value convenience and effectiveness and efficiency in their lives. Mm. Um, so it doesn't surprise me at all that that people are uh, signing up. Um, but to your point around, um, like the business, like Vitruvian was, I guess, always conceived as not just a product but a business. Um, and I, I felt that if we could make a great piece of hardware that uh, had enough of, enough of a value proposition that that um, consumers would want to buy and enough of a value proposition that uh, influencers and coaches would want to provide content for, then it would kind of be a, be a virtuous circle. of It would be in, in the coaches and influencers' um, best interest to promote the, the products and brand to the to their customers and it would be in their customers, you know, best interest to promote it to their friends and family. So I, I did sort of conceive of a business that was um, kind of self-perpetuating, I guess. Mm. Um, uh, so just for people that aren't aware, like um, I'm just on the website now, 
I can see like the trainer passed uh, three thousand US dollars just to give people a bit of context around mm. what it what it kind like where the price point is of this. Mm. Uh, um, it seems like I. One, that's interesting. I was actually going to ask you about like marketing the product specifically because I find a lot of s- small, medium, even large business owners really don't know how to market businesses effectively. And you are both in this space, so maybe I'll ask you one at a time. But while I'm with you, John, here I ask you: mm. Was the so the influencers was that the key for you to get this in the hands of people? And if so, like how did you go about that? Like how do you go about getting the right people to talk and mention your product? Yeah, I'm interested in, in hearing about how, what Cameron's take on this is. But um, the, you know, my, my feeling is each product and each business has to solve um, for how to advertise and, and market their own product individually. You can't you can't read a maybe you can read a book on it, but each company needs to find their own genius and find what works um, from a from a building awareness um, and building sales point of view. What's worked for us is just pretty standard digital advertising. That can always be better. Um, But in the early days, we just had a massive, massive tailwind Mm. of everyone in the world was stuck at home and they were looking for ways to train at home. Now, (laughs) (laughs) annoying, annoying. So, you know, pretty easy to be effective with digital advertising if if, if you're kind of, got even just a horrible advert for, for at-home training, um, mm-hmm. we could reach people. And that's how we reached a lot of our early investors uh, <laughs> was just through digital advertising, weirdly. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it's an ongoing journey of, of how we get really efficient and how we really effectively do awareness um, and build scale and scope in the brand and, and the product and the community. There's no real... You just try, trial and error. Um, some things work great, some things don't. Um, some bit of content works, you know, blows up. We got nine million views on a on a TikTok video of of wow. um, Sam Dancer doing a doing a getting you know maxed out on the machine doing doing a squat. So and that was um huh. you know that was kind of fun and interesting. But you can't predict these things and you can't preempt them. Um, you just got to do stuff and yeah. see what sticks. Mm. Um, yeah, like but we're still we're still just kind of watching that grow and evolve and improve. Let's see, I find that fascinating because um, so in the finance industry, um, there's been a huge crackdown on finfluencers, which is like the the finance version of an influencer, mm-hmm. um, and obviously the whole licensing regime makes it incredibly difficult for brands to reach consumers that they want to reach for whatever thing that they're talking about, but. Um, like everyone knows how powerful platforms like Instagram, uh, TikTok, which you just mentioned is the emerging one, how important they are, especially for, for fitness and, and for health generally, uh, those types of brands. So Cameron, did you, like, I guess if, in thinking of like the the way you approach this, the way you reach like, like people like me that would walk into a gym or a studio or even people like uh, investors to John's point, um, people that, you know, PTs, like how do you, how did you did you use influencers and that type of stuff as a key pillar of that strategy? No, 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 I didn't. And and I think I think they've got their place. To, to be honest, there's a lot of I guess businesses in our space that lead with that. Yeah. Ultimately, for me, um, if you if you're not solving a problem with your product, 
Um, I think you can spend spend and waste a lot of money on it. So yeah. yes, you'll drive a lot of traffic. You might have some early runs on the board, but it's hard to sustain it in my view. If you if you aren't solving a genuine product, there's just so many um, different brands and products on the marketplace, and your ability to articulate but also display where you sit and how you are different. Um, that's what's been really powerful for us. Um, identified a what I thought was a, a gap in the market. We tested that over two years with four studios. Um, we're able to get feedback from the members. We're actually able to, in that period of time, um, make a lot of mistakes and then tweak the model and and the core product offering. Interesting, interestingly for us, though, it was really difficult to articulate in the elevator pitch how we were different. And mm-hmm. you may you may or may not know, but our tagline is different, better. And that's quite arrogant and that can that can actually backfire from a marketing perspective. But we, we thought, you know what, let's be bold with this. And at least if people aren't sure what it means, they're going to ask us the question, which gives us the opportunity to then talk to our core product and the, and the problem that we think we're solving. So mm. what what really, to be honest, you know, like John, we, were, we got some really early runs. We had a bit of a headwind early days. Um, the very first week that we opened up the first test studio in Paran in, in Victoria, I had a franchise inquiry. And, and to be really honest, I thought it was my mates taking the mickey out of me. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and, it went, and it turned out, I, I, I honestly, I, I took a few days to respond because I was trying to track down which of my mates were setting me up. And, um, and, and that particular inquiry, actually, uh, that gentleman and his business partner now have six franchises with us in Queensland. Um, oh, wow. One of the foundation members at the site uh, in Paran just happened to have just moved down from from Brisbane, um, had relocated with his employment, um, was a foundation member, did one session, used to go to one of our competitors' gyms up in Queensland, rang his mate and said, you want to come to Melbourne, get on a plane straight away and try this product. As a trainer, you are going to love this. And, and I, I think for us that's been really powerful is that because we, we do the periodized programming, we do the combination of strength and cardiovascular training, the high intensity and low intensity, in large, it's, it's, it resonates for trainers because they like to train that way. Mm. And what we found was there's a lot of trainers who, go, who work in gyms or studios and other brands, but they go and train somewhere else. And so we were able to get some really early runs on the ball with, you know, we had a pipeline of people ready to sign franchise agreements. I just wasn't ready in terms of um, having the back end and the, the documentation and so on in place. But, we, ke- you know, I was able to keep them engaged and travelling to state to meet them on a, you know, on a regular basis or they'd come to Melbourne um, so that when we were ready to launch franchising, which was in April of 2018, we could go to market and say, well, we've got the original four plus we've already got 10. You know, we're, we've just launched in April and we've got 14 franchises. Um, so that, and really powerful to have industry people investing in your product um, because they're so passionate about it. So we had a bit more of, I guess, a, an authentic approach to it. Um, nothing, as I said, nothing wrong with influencers. I just, I just couldn't stand having an influencer be the f- forward facing representative of our brand. If they couldn't train properly, they couldn't lift properly. Their technique was poor. Like I'm just, OCD pedantic on those details and that's that's our approach um so I guess we sort of lead with a bit more authenticity um and to mm. be fair you know I think F45 they've done it they're a great business and done a great job and they certainly 
laid the foundations in terms of group training and, and the price point and, and so on and so forth in the industry. So, yeah, they, they certainly did us some favours. There's no doubt about that. Now, when I was doing some digging, I didn't realise how much Australia punches above its weight um, in terms of like anything fitness and health related. It's so impressive. I was just blown away by that. It sounds like if I could draw some like common threads between what you both do, you both identified a really important need and you knew it counted, but then there was something like fortuitous that comes along. And in the case of you, John, it was like, all of a sudden people can't work out. So what's the solution? Well, here, I've been working on this thing for like 10 years. So why not try this out? And then with you, Cameron, like the chances that some of those, someone like that walks into your studio within such a short period of time and then has a mate that then is serious about this stuff. Like, I, like there's, there's a saying about luck, but it's also like preparation, right? Like you can't, you, a lot of the times you just make your own luck. Um, and I say that as someone who also was very fortuitous with like a massive tailwind behind me in terms of like, you know, you could draw many number of them, like say like the Royal Commission for Financial Education, uh, how important that then put the light back on what we do. Um, Cameron, one, one of the things though, mate, um, and one of the things that I, like I was just reading about is like global expansion, um, you know, for your business. I, I didn't realize this and I hope you don't mind. I think, I think you're okay to talk about it, which was like negotiating a $60 million deal with Exponential and you did that in, th- I think it was three weeks. Can you four, walk us four weeks, yeah. four weeks? Four weeks. Can you walk <laughs> well, us? Well done. Can, can you walk us through how that happened and w- what it is? Um, yeah. Look again, it's just one of those one of those things. You know, we, we were coming out of COVID. Um, yeah, for a lot of brick and mortar businesses like us, you know, it was tough times. Having said that, we're very fortunate that um, in 2021, you know, we sold 121 franchises globally. Um, whilst we're still locked down in Melbourne. So we're very, very fortunate that we had some tailwinds coming into COVID and um, the brand was really just starting to get some equity in the marketplace. But I got introduced to Anthony Geisler, the, the CEO of Exponential Fitness, and it was from a mutual friend who's in the industry. And it was really just a, you guys would get on and have a chat type introduction. Um, as I, we got on quite well, but as, as I sort of researched his business, he, he was actually through COVID getting in his car from, um, Irvine where he lives and heading up to Santa Monica where we had a company owned studio and um, with BFT and um, he was uh, sussing us out and so that quickly led to um, a conversation around look what are you guys doing what, you know what are you interested in the business we're interested in talking about it we had invested heavily pre-COVID into America um, several million US dollars and set up our own company-owned studio in Santa Monica, done a lot of brand awareness campaigns, and then COVID hit, we couldn't travel, and really, over the two years, we'd, we'd largely lost that investment. Um, and so, here was a brand, that they had nine brands, it was a really obvious gap in their portfolio um, in terms of our brand and what we offer as a core product. And so, it was, well, we were very fortunate, we had some competitive tensions, we had other offers, and to be honest, some other bigger offers. Um, but those offers were to hand the keys over and see you later. And we we weren't ready to, to be honest. We, we've got some things that we really want to achieve um, whilst we've had significant growth since since launching franchises in 2018. We still haven't ticked a lot of boxes that we'd like to tick. And, um, and so the opportunity with Exponential was um, they could take on the brand in North America. Um, 
and absolutely with their resources across their head office but also across their other nine brands and their broker network, they would be able to do a lot more with the brand and drive its success uh, over the next couple of years um, far greater than what we would be able to do. So that, w- that was, you know, really for us quite aligning that they could take that on. We would, re- we would retain the rights for the brand um, globally outside of North America, but they would then take on the IP. So they, they essentially purchased the IP and the rights to North America. We retain the rights globally outside of that. Um, we revenue share based off sales. So it's quite an aligning, um, uh, you know, fi- financial arrangement in terms of going forward. And so it was, it's very rare that, you, you, you know, you get two people or two groups so aligned um, that, ha- that are sharing a very similar vision. They'd only just listed on the NASDAQ. So for them, they were looking for a brand that was doing good things and they could grow. Um, and, and what it's actually allowing us to do is not get distracted with such a big market like America because it, it's a huge beast. Um, and we were already having conversations about relocating over there. How do we then continue to consolidate our existing regions, in particular Australia and Singapore and New Zealand, where um, they're our three current biggest markets? So, it, it, yeah, it was it was one of those things that we'd had offers. We'd said to Anthony, look, we've got other offers. Um, to be honest, we're a bit fatigued with going through DD. Um, it's a draining process and it seems to be the gift that keeps on giving because it can drag out and drag out and drag out. So, um he said, I can get it done in 20 days. And we said, um, respectfully, bullshit. <laughs> and he said, well, let's do it. And the fortunate thing was we, we had lawyers in the US. They have lawyers in Australia. So we could literally work 24-7. So we were up most mornings at three in the morning. At three or four in the morning, I'd jump on calls with our US lawyers. Anthony would be available. If the lawyers couldn't agree on things, we would talk. And, and get alignment and then go back to the teams. Um, it'd usually be sort of a 6 or 7 a.m. call our time and then we'd work through the day and then we'd get on a call at like 10 a.m., uh, sorry, 10 p.m. and then we'd shut up shop. Um, and that's how we got it done. It was, it was literally 20 hours a day for, for a month. Um, and to be honest, I actually ended up in hospital on the, the day that we signed. So I don't really remember signing because I was high on morphine and, um, and had a penetrip down. <laughs> wow. Um, that's just like, yeah. I mean, so as an investor myself, like I'm very familiar with franchise models and um, we'll see a lot, we see a lot of Australian brands try to expand into the US and fail uh, for many different reasons. But um the, the pathway that you seem to have gone down is like you retain some upside, you get the cash up front as well, um, which seems like just like a, like it was for such a short window, it's negotiated incredibly well. So um, yeah, I got like to, to both of you guys, like I just, I hear these stories and I just find them so amazing, like incredible, like how you guys can pull it off and, and do that. Um, and I know you, John, were, were up at 3am this morning um, <laughs> doing a similar thing because so much of the business is, is US. Um, yeah. maybe I think, John, I think on that, Owen, um, and John, I think we'll have a similar, maybe a similar experience or, or insight is that, um, you know, you mentioned that, you know, every, every overnight success takes 10 years and, I speak to a lot of startups now and the first question to me is, oh, you know, how do I get, how do I sell to private equity? And and I think if you're looking at that as your starting point, you're really distracted from what you need to be doing 
to consolidate your business, mm. to get it right, to learn the lessons, make your mistakes, continue to fine tune. And, you know, John mentioned it, the investment and finding money isn't the hard bit, to be really, really honest with you. Like there's plenty of money out there and you can, you can find it. The, the timing's one thing. It, it's making sure you're getting the people in your business that you're aligned with from a, from a values perspective, but also that have bought into your vision and share that. Um, do you want pure investors who aren't going to have any say or do you want them to add value to your business and get, you know, some people who bring in different skill sets? But it's what happened with us, absolutely, it's happened fairly quickly, um, which is why we chose not to sell the whole thing because we, we've got things, more things that we want to achieve. And I think as a founder, you just have a different lens on that. You start a business because you want to achieve certain things and you potentially want to disrupt a certain sector or whatever it may be. But those that are starting out already looking for investment and how can I get my quick make my quick buck, um, I'd really question that methodology and, and, you know, what happened to us certainly I don't think is the norm. <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, that's fair enough to say. Um, and by the way, I'll put all the links for anyone listening to this. I'll put all the links into like both of the businesses and in particular, like how you can find out about BFT and all the um, like franchising and all that sort of stuff and how it all works. Because I think that um, would be super neat for a lot of people to listen to this to come from the fitness industry or PTs or whatever. Um, but John, um, I've got one more kind of meaty question for you, which is that, you know, during COVID, we chucked on these Apple Watches. I got one for everyone in the team um, just so we could stay connected and we could help each other, you know, just stay active. And maybe uh, maybe it was a bit of like spying on a, a, our colleagues just to make sure that we're all being active and getting out of the house and whatever. But um, like so much has changed, it would seem to me, like so much has changed in a very short period of time um, where technology meets fitness. Um if you were to cast your mind forward, say five years, how do you like? What do you think is on? Or what do you know is on the horizon for a lot of like the industry, like w- like people like me that probably will be like, "Wow!" But you're already seeing it take shape. Hmm. Well, I think we all know um, that technology is on a continual march into health and wellness and human performance and human. Um, Human development um, is what technology does. It it, um, it transforms. It 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 brings amazing value propositions um, in where whatever it touches and health and wellness. It's been technology's been doing that at a very high level for for ages and will continue to do it. Um, the particular piece of you know the particular technology technology suite that Petruvian brings. Um, uh, will be, I think, will be the dominant way that um, strength training or resistance training is done into the future Um, just because once weights are digital and once they're dynamic, um, the, the, just the bet, the, the, how quickly and how well and how effective training can be done on a muscle group or a functional group um, is just, it's so compelling that's that it's hard to stop. Um, so that would be my looking forward. Um, I think I'm optimistic about the role that technology can play in 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 making us all live healthier and happier and and better lives as we as we grow and mature and age. Mm. Um, so I'm I'm optimistic about that. And I think Truvin yeah. is doing a, our small part. Mm. Um, 
to bring technology to to humankind. I love how um like something that like just learning about the product, right? It's like how it dynamically adjusts to your particular circumstances. Like it calculates it all on the fly and figures it out. Mm. Like what what you can and can't do, resistance. Like it's just like fascinating yeah. stuff. It's st- we're still it's still in its infancy. Is, is the exciting thing is um, you know where that goes and how good that gets. I just can't wait to see. Yeah, for sure. And I'm super keen to play along. I've actually got one more final question for each of you, which is more like just a really low hanging fruit one. Um, maybe Cameron, it's the same one for both of you, but I just want to, I just want to pick your brains. Just one quick thing. Um, what's one thing that you learned about business in 2022 that you'd wish you knew sooner? Yeah, oh, that's a really good question. Um, to be honest, I'm, I'm I don't really know how to answer it, to be honest. Um, hmm. I, I think in business you're constantly learning. Um, so I don't know whether it's isolated to 22. Um, uh, one thing we've learned is, and, and, you know, I don't know I don't know whether John has experienced this in a diff- different space and has really benefited, I think, from COVID, but we made, we, we made an assumption um, and maybe, maybe we didn't do enough research and maybe we didn't do enough due diligence, but we made an assumption coming out of COVID that, off the back of 2021, which was largely COVID interrupted and having such a successful year with sales and opens that the 22 surely was going to be better. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, um, and it's been tough. And, and so we've still had a really good year, but what we've seen is we've seen more competitors come into the market. Um, we've seen, you know, new technologies come into the marketplace and, and all of those things I think are fantastic for our industry um, and are fantastic for us. So it wasn't so much that we were resting on our laurels. We, we certainly weren't sitting back thinking, yet yeah, we've got it under control, but um, we're now really shaping, okay, how, how do we do our sales slightly differently? Because we have sort of been doing it the same for the past four or five years. Um, how do we just slightly change our messaging? So it's it's not necessarily a 22 specific year. I think it's mm. been quite a unique year coming off the back of the previous two years with COVID, but I guess it's just don't sit still. Um, get external sets of eyes on your business, be open to be challenged. Um, and and for us, be challenged, look to change and innovate, but also don't lose the core of who you are and what you what you, you know, what's made you successful. We are BFT. We have a system. We have something that's working. We constantly need to continue to innovate, whether that's through our technology or training and education or marketing or lead gen. Um, but yeah, 20, 2022 has thrown a lot of challenges at us that we didn't see coming, and it was probably hard to see that because we just haven't experienced something like we have in the past two years. So mm. be open to the challenges. Um, I wish I had seen it coming. <laughs> But the flip side is it's great. Like it's it's fan. Oh, I just think twenty two has been great because technology really has fast tracked in our industry, and it, in my opinion, it's just scratching the surface. So I just think there's so much more to be done. Um, mm. And you know, John sort of touched on. It. I absolutely think it's the way forward, and not just with health, with fitness, but wellness. You know, wellness and longevity is going to going to become a potentially catch cries and phrases that you are going to hear a lot more in our industry. Um, so yeah, probably mm. didn't answer that question exactly. No, no, I like it. 
exact question, but yeah, that's sort of my take on 22 and what the challenges that we faced. Mm. John, how about yourself? Yeah, I think it's just chiming on what Cam said there. Um, I think we're all going to look back in, in a few years' time and, and just see what a, just what a distorting factor COVID has been um, mm. in all of our lives and all of our businesses and all of our plans. It's 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 been um, you know it's distorted capital markets, it's distorted um, global mm. supply chains, it's distorted um, hiring and it's 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 been mental um mm. and all, all in ways that you just really could not pick you could not guess of, of you know where the shortages would appear where the excesses would appear um but for me the key learning for 2022 um maybe speaking a bit to you to your audience a bit more owen is just how tied private markets are to, to public markets um uh, particularly in in the space that the Trivian operates in in the industry is termed connected fitness. Mm. Um, they're fantastic businesses if you can do them well. Um, and the Trivian has spent years now honing and and refining our product offering to to make a killer, an amazing connected fitness business. But um, some of that. Uh, the 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 capitulation of of Peloton in the public markets has just turned investor interest off the entire mm. space. Um, so that's made that's been my key learning is, is like we're building an amazing business. We've got a great business model. It's it's very well thought out. It's it's amazing, and we're the best positioned company in this space in the world right now. But because of the kind of public market. Um, capitulation that Peloton's let us all down. The industry itself is quite hard to to build and grow. Um, so that's been my key learning. And I, I I feel like I should have seen that coming as well. I should have seen like as Peloton was tanking, I knew it was was going to make capital raising and growing difficult for us. I didn't know how difficult it would make it. Mm. Well, um, a lot of investors listen to the RAS podcast, so um, here's hoping they uh, they're interested and they can uh, get in contact with you. I'll put it again. I'll put all the links in the show notes. But for what it's worth, gents, like I had exactly the same thing um, on a like a micro scale compared to both of you. Um, we had this explosion of I think we in some respects like some parts of our business was like five x when COVID first hit, um, and obviously being all online, we just played right into our hands. But um, then I overcapitalized, I invested too much, and that all reversed, right? Well, not all of it, but a lot of it reversed. And that was the key learning for me this year was just to be more forward-looking, you know, and less, I guess, reactive to things. And I guess if there's another thing that come out of that, it was just conservative often pays off, you know, to, you know, to finish first, you've got to fit first finish, you know, um, and that was a, like a, an NDE, a near-death experience for the business. So, um, happy to move into 2023 and, but I, I, I know we're recording this just before Christmas. So I really do appreciate you guys taking some time out to join me from on the road, but, um, John, mate, uh, appreciate you, you dialing in. I know you've been up early. So thanks for, thanks for joining us from the West coast. Pleasure. Uh, and, and Cameron, thanks for joining us from uh, the lovely Yarra Valley. I know you're recording from the car. Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to jump on a call with us. No, Good to meet you too, Cam. That was a, yeah. that was a, that was a highlight. Mm. Thanks, Owen. Yeah, thank you, John, and good luck with the business, mate. You're, you're definitely under something special, so congratulations. Yeah, likewise. Cheers.
Cheers, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Business Podcast. I think this series is best served with my free business course on RASC Education. My free course includes all of my notes, templates, employment guides, legal documents, marketing strategies, software recommendation, and ideas for starting and running a small business. If you're a small business owner or an expert like an accountant, lawyer, investor, or entrepreneur, I want to hear from you. I'm not 100% sure what we're going to do with this podcast series, so I'm looking for sponsors as well as potential co-hosts, and of course, I'm eager to invest in businesses run by talented people. If you're looking for a supporter or advisor, a silent partner, or even an investor to support your growth, I can help. Please contact me via the RASC website. Finally, if this podcast or the course helps you, I only ask that you please help me by sharing it with one friend, colleague, or family member who runs a business. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Business Podcast. By now, you will know that the Australian Business Podcast is one of the most popular business podcasts in Australia because we just kind of keep it genuine, to be honest. We tell you what you need to know, how to focus on profit. We avoid the fluff that comes with these types of things, and we just tell you straight. If you want to join us at a deeper level, if you want to work directly with us, you can join the Inflection Accelerator Program. The Inflection Accelerator Program is our online course plus business owner only community and weekly group coaching and all of the other stuff that you could imagine speaking and working directly with us and the community on things like marketing, sales scripts, automation, structuring, tax, you name it. Each and every week inside the Inflection community, we will be hosting you and other business owners through group coaching sessions with experts in their domain, as well as giving you templates and resources that you need to truly scale and excel in your business. The Accelerator Inflection community is typically only for people who have a business. However, if you're in the very late stages, I would also encourage you to consider it. You can book a free strategy call. It's a totally free call with Jordan, one of the co-hosts here on the podcast, and get involved with us. In that call, Jordan will take you through a few things about the program, but mostly it's about you telling him about your business to see if you and your business are the right fit for us because we want to keep it a really focused community. It's not a super expensive program. It'll cost you a few thousand dollars and you can get involved with us for a long time and hopefully scale your business many times over. Daniel, who is our resident chartered accountant, did say to me that it is most likely tax deductible and you should pay for it through your business. So you can check with him on that one. But anyway, thanks for listening to this Australian Business Podcast episode. Don't forget to join the Accelerator program. The link is available in your podcast player. I'll see you in the next episode.